0: This is the KPMG Board Insights Podcast, and this episode is about the rising interest in LGBTQ plus diversity in the boardroom. Welcome to the KPMG Board Insights Podcast, brought to you by the KPMG Board Leadership Center. The KPMG Board Insights Podcast series features conversations with directors, business leaders, and Governance Luminaries to explore the emerging issues and pressing challenges facing boards today. In this episode, Susan Angeli, Senior Advisor with the KPMG Board Leadership Center, talks with Todd Sears, founder and CEO of OutLeadership, about the increasing visibility of and interest in LGBTQ diversity in the boardroom, the return on equality from LGBTQ inclusion, understanding the value and dispelling myths about LGBTQ board diversity, and outlining steps boards can take going forward.
1: Hello, and welcome to our podcast, a podcast that focuses on issues of importance in the boardroom. I'm Susan Angeli, Senior Advisor with KPMG's Board Leadership Center. I want to start with a statistic that really starkly illustrates the trend of LGBTQ diversity. Quite simply, the percentage of openly LGBTQ people is increasing dramatically in the US population. According to a survey by the Williams Institute, the openly LGBTQ population is roughly 7% for people in their 60s, but yet it increases to more than 20% for those in their 30s. And for the up and coming generation of employees and consumers, who are the 18 to 24 year olds, the number is even higher at 30%. So as the conversation about board diversity among investors, regulators, and other stakeholders continues to evolve, it's really no surprise that this aspect of diversity is increasingly becoming part of the discussion. So we're gonna talk about what this means for the boardroom, and I'm absolutely delighted to have with me for this discussion Todd Sears, the CEO of Out Leadership. Welcome, Todd.
2: Thanks, Susan. Nice to be here.
1: So, Todd, Out Leadership and its Quorum initiative have been at the forefront of the push to include sexual orientation and gender identity as part of the board diversity conversation. And Quorum recently published the first ever report on LGBTQ plus representation in the boardroom, Visibility Counts the LGBTQ plus board leadership opportunity. We'll reference it here and a link is also available both on our website and of course on Out Leadership's website as well. But before we talk about that, I want to start with a bit about your background and LGBTQ diversity in general. Prior to starting Out Leadership, you were an investment banker and through that lens, you developed a concept that you call return on equality for businesses that have LGBTQ inclusive uh, organizations. Would you talk a little bit about that?
2: Sure, happy to. Um, So as you mentioned, I was an investment banker. I like to say that I'm a recovering banker. I started my career out of college in investment banking and then actually moved into private banking uh, at Merrill Lynch. And when I was at Merrill, I actually started the first team on Wall Street back in 2001 shocking that it was 20 years ago, to focus on the LGBTQ market opportunity. And if you think back 20 years ago, you did not have companies focusing on LGBTQ consumers or investors, very few companies actually paid attention to the LGBTQ market and the LGBTQ talent opportunity within their companies. But I built a business initiative within Merrill Lynch and ultimately built a $2 billion book of business for Merrill within the LGBTQ community, partially from gay and lesbian couples as well as LGBTQ nonprofits all over the country. And along the way got an old conservative Irish Catholic command and control organization like Merrill Lynch to start to focus on supporting the LGBTQ community both internally with policies and making sure that they were LGBTQ inclusive and externally. the Merrill was actually spending millions of dollars at the end of my efforts there to focus on supporting the LGBTQ community and nonprofits. I ultimately sort of took that idea uh, when I was head of diversity at Credit Suisse. And then ultimately, I got laid off, actually. Um, And 10 years ago, this next month, was sitting on my sofa with a severance check and a martini or two. And thought, what could I do to continue that conversation, the, the idea of return on equality, that businesses have an opportunity and, I think, an obligation to advocate for equality through the economic platform that they have. And 10 years ago, you did not have CEOs or companies using those platforms and speaking out. And so I wanted to create that conversation. And it started with just a simple summit here in New York with five, six investment banks. And it's now grown into what I call a global movement. We have 81 companies. We have summits on five continents. We have talent initiatives for young gay leaders, for LGBTQ women, as well as for board leadership, which is quorum, which we'll be chatting about. We've got about 650 CEOs we've worked with globally. And the idea of return on equality has continued to grow. We have companies who now use their economic platform in all the countries in which they do business, 67 of which are still uh, have anti-LGBTQ laws in place, for example, but they're using their economic platform to advocate for equality because we have proven definitively that there is a connection to inclusion and ultimately bottom line success.
1: That's a great story. And um, I wanna talk about, you know, bringing it up to the boardroom. Uh, We'll talk about why it matters specifically in the boardroom, but first, Talk to me about Quorum, where, where was that idea to start Quorum from, when was it started and what was the thought process behind it?
2: Well, about seven and a half years ago, I got a call from a, a colleague and longtime friend named Mario Palumbo, who works in the real estate investment industry. And Mario had a very simple question for me, which was, why are there not out LGBTQ people on boards? And I had a very simple answer, which was, number one, we don't count as diverse. And two, no organizations are focusing on pushing that conversation forward. And so Mario said, well, you're an equality entrepreneur, as I've been called several times. He said, you need to build that. And I said, well, you know what? You're probably right. Um, And so he and several others and I got together and put together a plan for how we could start advocating for LGBTQ inclusion on corporate boards. At that time, there were only two companies in the entire Fortune 500 that included LGBTQ leaders in the definition of board diversity. We've now been able to expand that to 12, so (laughs) a very large uh, percentage increase, not really an absolute (laughs) increase. Um, But along the way, what's been exciting is that we've been able to really build momentum. Uh, And if you look at the last 18 months in particular, everywhere from Goldman Sachs and David Solomon announcing that they would not take companies public, if they didn't have diversity on boards. And for Goldman, that does include LGBTQ leaders. Uh, Actually, their former CEO, Lloyd Blankfein, was out leadership's first board member. And I remember Lloyd saying almost eight years ago that as long as Goldman has been public, they have had an out gay board member, which is a nice statistic to be able to quote. Um, But in addition to the, the policy piece of it, we've been able to see momentum, as you mentioned, from the pension funds, the investor community, this is really now beginning to have roots in the ESG world, which is very exciting as well. And I think that whole idea of return on equality and doing all of these efforts and making these efforts sort of part of sustainable business is something that we're finally starting to see, which is really, really exciting.
1: That's that's fantastic. And, uh, of course, we've we've been delighted and proud to be there with you every step of the way. I remember when the, the proposal first came across the desk at KPMG for us to support this it was we all kind of looked at each other and said, well that's a no-brainer of course it makes perfect sense
2: <laughs> which we're very grateful for and I, I would actually underscore the support that KPMG has given us you have you are the founding sponsor of Quorum have supported us for all these seven years and not just financially the, the work that you in particular Susan have done at the board Leadership Center, Connecting us through the resources and just being a thought leader partner with us has been really invaluable. So we're very, very grateful to all the support of KPMG here in the U.S. and, and actually around the world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about why this matters in the boardroom. Uh, and, and, and it gets to really the, the reason why uh, KPMG's board leadership center is involved in this, because this is not altruism. This is about boardroom excellence. And we know there's so much research, primarily focused on gender, but also in other aspects of diversity, about why diversity matters in the boardroom. Uh, you know, things like decreased groupthink, um, all other types of results in innovation, et cetera, from diversity. But but LGBT diversity, in particular. Why is that important? Why does that make a difference in the boardroom discussion?
2: Well, I'd say there's several reasons. And first, as you said very correctly, it's not about altruism. It is about doing better business. All of these efforts should not be viewed through the lens of tokenism or even the right thing to do, in quotes. Because ultimately, we've proven, and 30 research studies that we reviewed for our quorum research in particular have proven, that all of this is ultimately good for the bottom line. So I don't ask investors or companies to look at this from the philanthropic perspective, for example. I ask them to actually think about how they want to do better business. So as you said, decrease groupthink, diversity of ideas. From an LGBTQ perspective, I'd say there are several things. Number one, there's great research that shows that LGBTQ people actually have incredibly high levels of empathy. And if you think about being in the closet and having to code switch and living in the straight world and the gay world, Gay people who have to come out, and we all have to come out at some point, have this increased level of empathy because we have to live in both worlds. And we bring that into the companies that we work for, we bring that into the boardrooms where we're allowed or we're included, and that ability to really see multiple perspectives is something that's incredibly unique and valuable. If you think about it from a broader intersectionality perspective as well, so many companies, as you mentioned, are focusing on the gender conversation, or finally the race conversation, Well, from an LGBTQ perspective, we exist in all of those communities. There are LGBTQ women. There are LGBTQ people of color. So why would you not want to expand the pool of talent from which you can draw, which ultimately is the result of having LGBTQ inclusive board conversation and a board diversity policy that specifically says that gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and queer people are included when a company wants to bring in the best and the brightest to their board, as well as at all levels of their company. Because what we've seen is through other research that we've done, actually another piece called Visibility Counts, the first piece was actually focused on self-identification at other levels within a company. And we know that there are hundreds of companies, in the Fortune 500 in particular, that allow their LGBTQ employees to self-identify at the points of hire as well as throughout their careers within companies. And they've seen direct results in terms of inclusion inclusion. Broader equity throughout the organizations, and ultimately the ability to track careers and to bring in best and brightest leaders throughout the organization. So it's almost baffling to me why, if companies do this in so many other lanes within a company, that they wouldn't do this at the highest, most important levels of a company, which, of course, is the board.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, what are some of the historical bar- uh, barriers that uh, have led to underrepresentation? Focusing on corporate
2: reports? Well, I'll take it out of corporate reports for just a second because the statistics that you mentioned in terms of LGBTQ people being out, I think are actually a really great way to look at this. There is definitively a generational difference in how LGBTQ people can and have been out in their careers. So you mentioned in the the sort of baby boomer generation, if you will, roughly 7% of people identify as gay or lesbian. And that's not even including the sort of broader acronym. And if you think about the role that they came into when they entered the workforce, that's a direct reason why. The American Association of Psychiatric um, Professionals considered being gay or lesbian a psychiatric disease uh, up until 1978. And so if you just take that one fact, when these folks who were in their 50s, 60s, 70s entered the workforce, you could still be fired in every single state. You could still be fired from any job in the country and you would have no legal recourse. You could not serve openly in the military. And ultimately, you were still considered diseased. You were considered psychologically unfit. So it's no wonder that people were not out in their careers at a very early age. The second challenge that that generation had was the AIDS crisis. In the 1980s, of course, hundreds of thousands of gay men in particular were completely decimated. And there are so many examples of... Groups of gay men in all kinds of different spheres, not just the sort of theater and arts community, who were completely decimated. There's you know, a great photo from the, uh, the Gay Men's Chorus in New York that has a group of men on the stage, and everyone is in black except for three men, and it's a group of 500. And the, the three men who were in white are the three survivors of the 500 group. And that's wow. really w- what the decimation of the gay community looked like in the 1980s. And so if you man. think about it, it was completely devastating. We lost so much talent. So if you think about those factors, of course, that contributes to all of the reasons that there were not as many gay men and women out at, their, at the sort of senior levels now because they were not able to be earlier in their careers. Despite that, we have seen so many leaders who have come out later in their careers and who are finally able to, to be out fully in their both personal and their work lives. And that's creating this great momentum that we're seeing to be interested and be on these boards, but the policies have to catch up. So there's really this systemic challenge that we have because so few companies include LGBTQ people in that definition of diversity when they go to the Corn Ferries or the Spencer Stewarts or the Egon Centers when they say, show us a diverse slate. Unfortunately, that really only means race and gender way too often. And so there are these systemic challenges that we have to confront as it relates to the board diversity policies, but also the business models that increase diversity or are tempting, if we say to create diversity or increase diversity at these board levels. And it's the same challenges we see from a gender perspective and a race perspective.
1: There's so many myths that we hear. I, I, I think you've actually dispelled all of them. But, but you know, I, when, when I talk to board members uh, and talk to search firms, you know, I hear things like, well, people aren't asking for LGBT candidates. And, you know, as you've said, to some extent, that's true, they're not using those words, but between the intersectionality and it being part of what makes for a more important diverse board, I think you've dispelled that. Um, the pipeline you've addressed. Um, I, I wanna get back to this question of uh, disclosure though, because on the one hand, disclosure makes such a difference. Uh, and, and we all know, uh, you know, the, uh, the phrase, what uh, gets measured gets done. But yet, there still is this real reluctance to, A, ask a board member, are you gay, trans, what have you? Um, and then, B, to say, is it okay if we tell the entire world publicly in our proxy. Um, most companies see that as a real barrier to visual disclosure. And, and would you talk about that just a little bit?
2: Yeah, I'd be happy to. And you know, I think to to the point that you mentioned on the other two myths as well, you know, the, the idea that CEOs are not asking for this is is false. CEOs and companies are asking for this. Too often the search firms just haven't been listening. So I, mm-hmm. I always want to point that out as a missed business opportunity for those firms, um, because the opportunity for them to be leading edge is huge. I'm proud that Egon Zender has actually come on as the very first of the global search firms to support our quorum effort, um, and yet you see, and their their actual board index included LGBTQ for the very first time. Uh, I'm hopeful that the others will follow. Spencer Stewart's just came out last week, and it was glaringly obvious that across all the diversity metrics that they look at, LGBTQ was not mentioned in a single one. So there's still huge work to be done on that front to create that pipeline and dispel those myths. As it relates to privacy and disclosure, I think there's several things that I would highlight. One, as I mentioned, this self-ID research that we published 18 months ago, clearly shows that companies all around the world, in fact, in 37 countries, companies ask LGBTQ employees to self-identify at all levels of the organization. So the fact that it isn't already happening elsewhere in the company is, is something that companies should think about. So that, And companies uh, that, that do allow employees to self-identify are seeing more and more of those employees self-identifying. So the fact that people think that they won't do it is, is a fallacy. Two, all these disclosure pieces are voluntary. Right? People don't have to disclose their gender. They don't have to disclose their race, ethnicity. They don't have to disclose their sexual orientation or gender identity. But if you don't ask, they can't. It's a very simple equation. You have to at least give them the opportunity. And that's what these companies are not doing. By not having this as part of the, the, the board conversation, they are missing that opportunity. And I would push back on the idea that people are not willing to self-identify. We have over 1,400 leaders in our quorum database who have self-identified, have created profiles, so that when companies finally say gay board members matter, we can say, great, here they are. And by the way, they're all out. They're all willing to self-identify. So I think that's an excuse, quite frankly, that companies have used. The, the privacy idea is a very convenient excuse, but it actually doesn't have basis in data, in fact. So I really hope companies will, will push past that, create the opportunity for LGBTQ people to self-identify. And then as we start to see that conversation become more mainstream, I think we'll see more and more people doing it.
1: That's that is a great answer and great advice to companies and a great call to action and and on that note we could we could go on for hours but but we are at the end so uh, i just want to really thank you for your insights uh, you know as as you've said there's such a strong business case uh, for lgbtq inclusiveness both in the organization and also in the boardroom uh, i want to congratulate you again on the uh, the research report uh, and, uh, and also on the work that Out Leadership, uh, through its Quorum initiative, is doing to, to really bring highlighting and visibility to, uh, to the issues. So, on that note, thank you, Todd, and thank you for all of you who've joined us. Thank you so much for listening.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast episode on the rising interest in LGBTQ plus diversity in the boardroom. Be sure to visit the board leadership center website at kpmg.com slash us slash blc. For more resources and information for board members and business leaders, and be sure to subscribe to the board insights podcast to be notified of new episodes.